This is a Federal News Network podcast. 2021 was a year of big change for that federal workforce. For one thing, they faced a turbulent return to the office idea with plans varying widely from agency to agency. One result, employee engagement and job satisfaction both dropped off from the relatively high levels of 2020. That's according to the Office of Personnel Management, which yesterday released its annual Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, the FEVs, covering 2021. Joining me with the details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, they did seem to acknowledge in some of the explanations, OPM, that, yeah, telework and whether you go back or not and all of this is part of the satisfaction mix, isn't it? OPM said that some of these results are complicated by large-scale changes in the workplace. So that's a lot of agencies who are looking to open up in-person work and more hybrid options after two years in the pandemic. Some employees who got used to fully remote work during 2020 are now hybrid, and some of them are back in person. And in numbers, we're looking at from the FEVs, entirely teleworking employees are down to 36 index points from 47 last year. And about a third of federal workers are reporting that they are physically in person at work for 2021. That number was at 17 percent for 2020. Right. So this is a snapshot that was of the federal workforce late last year. And if you follow the dotted line, then the number of people teleworking full time is going down and the number of people on site is going up, basically. Exactly. And OPM did point to that in FEVs in the survey. They said that a large reason for some of the employee dissatisfaction and the reason that those numbers were kind of dropping off was due to some of the confusion and turbulence of return to office plans for a lot of agencies. And I guess you have to say it was confusing or is confusing because the agencies are telling people this is the date on which people will return. And if you go to the OPM website itself, it says the federal government is open with maximum telework flexibility. So that term itself maybe has a changing definition and new policies haven't really come out yet. So adding all that up, what effect did this have on the employee engagement and what they call the global satisfaction scores? Employee engagement and global satisfaction, pretty much every category either flatlined or dropped off from 2021. But for employee engagement, that number is still up a bit from the past few years before that. And scores for agency leaders and intrinsic work experience specifically, as OPM puts it, are slightly down under employee engagement. Global satisfaction, we saw those numbers drop across the board. That's for things like job satisfaction, pay satisfaction, satisfaction with your organization, and also asking respondents if they would recommend working at the agency where they're employed. Yeah, that score is a real good indicator of whether people like it there or not, basically, correct? That's correct. I think that, you know, you would recommend something if you were satisfied with your job. But I think that the most significant factor within global satisfaction was pay satisfaction. That number was down six points. That's the lowest that it's been since 2017. And that could be attributed to a number of things, potentially some questions around workload. Those were going up for a lot of respondents and not to mention just 
inflation generally going up, that could affect pay satisfaction from employees. Okay. And this idea of collaboration, because that gets to the heart of the telework question and whether people spend all their lives on Microsoft Teams or Zoom or Ring Central, whatever it might be. What did the score show about the idea of collaboration and how people feel their work groups are operating? Performance of coworkers was trending actually a little bit more positive this year. The number For example, of respondents who said that poor performing workers remain in their work and continue to underperform, that's trending downward, meaning that either those workers are improving or just leaving an agency. But if we're looking at in terms of collaboration and adapting to changing priorities, those were two of the factors that were down the most from last year. Another measure in FEVs was the Performance Confidence Index. That's a new measurement from 2020 and continued this year that looks at employees perception of if an agency can still produce good work and it's ultimately a measure of agency performance we're seeing that that had a big drop as well and i think one of the more interesting phenomena in all of these where they list the average indices by agency size in every case in every index the smaller the agency the better the scores Yes, and a good example of that is global satisfaction in FEVs. We see that government-wide that sits at 64 index points, but we're seeing that for very small or small agencies, those numbers are up in the 70s and close to 80. Yeah, that's really an interesting one, the global satisfaction, which again is a combination of job satisfaction pay satisfaction, organization satisfaction, and would you recommend this organization satisfaction? The small, very small agencies, which OPM defines as fewer than 100 employees, has scores of above 70 in all cases, although they're pretty low on pay. And you get over to the very large, bigger than 75,000, and they're all in the 60s. I guess I don't know. Could it be that simply the tiny agencies have one mission, everybody's doing the same thing, and there's less bureaucracy than, say, at Homeland Security or Veterans Affairs? That's certainly possible, Tom. I think that with a smaller agency, you may also see more direct results and more clear results of your work on the agency's mission. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, you can kind of see what happens if you're at Veterans Affairs and you're just one physician in one hospital. You really don't see how the whole place is performing. And that gets to the idea of senior agency leadership because the small agencies like their leadership better than the big agencies, where it depends on how you define top leadership, but it could be 75 layers away in, in a different city as opposed to down the hall. And what did the score show this year about people's perceptions of supervisors? This year, a lot of those index scores for things like communications on return to office, regularly updating employees about those plans, and just generally prioritizing employee safety when looking at reentry plans, those all sit in the mid-60s on their index score. So that has dropped off a bit since 2020. And I think notably, there was a big drop of eight index points for asking respondents if they think agencies can respond well to future emergencies. There may have been some leeway in 2020. That number was a bit up and everything in the pandemic was at its greatest height. Now we have another year of perspective away. Maybe some respondents are changing their tune a little bit about that. Yeah, my theory here is that everyone was relatively in government level terms 
happy with their job and their agency at the beginning of the pandemic because difficult as it was, there was the sense of heady comradeship, of mission urgency. The central government was the central respondent to the whole pandemic, and lots of agencies got hundreds of billions of dollars to spend on programs to help the public, to help public health, to get research underway for vaccines, whatever you want to name. And it was all exciting, and everyone's pulling on the same big oar. But it kind of dissipated, I think, in 2021 as this thing wore on. Again, just my theory, but that seems like what the numbers are saying. You may have a point there, Tom. It does seem that As we get a couple more years away from the start of the pandemic, things are changing a little bit in the way that workers are viewing their agency's response to it. And again, one of the biggest reasons that OPM cites just less telework, more reentry plans, maybe that's causing some more dissatisfaction. Finally, Drew, there was uh, some mention in the results that the methodology was a little bit off relative to how they normally do the FEV survey and that they would return to the normal next year for the 2022 results. Tell us more about that. OPM implemented what they call a streamlined version of the FEVs in 2020, and they continued that for this year. We saw an even further delay in 2021 for when it was administered, that went from September and it was pushed back to November 2021. And that also impacted how long the survey was actually out for employees to respond. OPM even considered canceling the survey for this year, but determined that it was still important, albeit much shorter, smaller, and a little bit later than usual. But the agency says that it's planning to return to a normal timeline for the 2022 survey, and it's planning to administer that later this spring, giving employees a full six weeks to respond and opening it up to more respondents. So one survey is going to kind of come on the heels of the results of the other one. That's right. If everything goes according to plan, the results will be out this fall. Well, then maybe we can call the 2021 results, the letdown downturn or the letdown turndown, and then things will get back to the normal way they were in 18, 19, 20. And then they can say, well, it was the methodology and it was the weird year and everything will be hunky-dory. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And check out her FEVS coverage story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader, and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person, personally, was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. 
She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks um, as part of her job. She worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I 
talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job. And then let them roll. And that's not always easy. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.